Welcome to the Beautiful Souls Podcast with your host, myself, Danielle Cadwell. I'm an Olympian author, speaker, and coach, and I'm here to dive deeper into all things mindset, manifestation, mission, and yes, some meditation. In 2013, I was an unfit, concussed, and massively self-conscious synchronized swimmer when an opportunity arrived that was well beyond my wildest dreams to begin training for the next Olympic Games. I was terrified. However, I decided to take the biggest leap of my life. I went all in, moving from Canada to Australia and dedicating my life to my sport. On this journey, I made a vow to myself. If I could do it, if I could really make my wildest dreams come true, I would spend the rest of my life sharing what I had learned to help others do the same. So beautiful souls, this podcast is where I fulfill my promise. We'll talk about everything from the energetics of manifestation and the power of self-worth to mindset cultivation and how to step up and into your soul mission. You can think of this time together as kind of like a soul spa, where together we will wash away your fears, massage you with some truth and some love, and spruce you up on the insides with some spirituality. So, are you ready to be rejuvenated from the inside out? Let's dive in. Welcome back, beautiful souls, to the Beautiful Souls podcast. I'm so excited to have you here and to be introducing my very first official um, guest that I have on the podcast, Mackenzie Wallenzine, um, who I not only um, believe and know she's an incredible human being, but I know her as well through my programs as she's been both the Worthy and the Clarity Code. And as soon as I met Mackenzie um, and, and knew I was doing my podcast, podcast I, I wanted to interview her and share her story because one of my intentions with this podcast is to share the voices and the stories of people that are in marginalized communities that we don't necessarily hear as much from because we live in a world that prioritizes the norm that prioritizes the white um, cisgendered heterosexual person's perspective um, and I am that person. I am. And I know that that even just having all those titles gives me privilege and I want to be able to use this platform to lift up the voices of that note. Those need to be here more and to use it as a process to educate myself as well more um, and educate all of us because I think it is really important. So I have some great guests coming up um, as well and I cannot wait for you to hear Mackenzie's story today because Mackenzie um, is an incredible human being as she is um, and she is also a quadriplegic. Um, and a partial quadriplegic, as she will explain in the podcast. Um, and she had an accident about five years ago um, in 2016 where her life completely changed. Um, and he sh- this is the first time that she's officially shared her story. So she- I think she did an amazing job and I'm super proud of her um, and proud of her opening up. And I know that this is going to inspire um some people out there. And if it does, please share um, with Mackenzie or with, or with myself and I can pass it on to her um, as well. And we go into things, everything to do, you know, with life before the accident. She was a dancer um, and to what happened around the accident, what led her to that place. Her ne- near death 
near-death experience as she was going in and out of consciousness um, when she was in the hospital for months and months, relearning to do everything from talking to reading, sorry, to writing, um, to literally having to adjust to a life of a person being in a wheelchair um, and how she had her own spiritual awakening and where she's going now and messages that she has to her younger self and to you guys of, of the wisdom that she has to share within her life and she's a superhero she's incredible and it's been amazing to see her shine her light even more um I have such a a, such a fun place in my heart as well around this topic additionally because I um one of the things that I had the opportunity to be around when I was training at the Western Australian Institute of Sport in Perth um I was got to be around a lot of Paralympians and as soon as I started to be around them and hear their stories you know wheelchair basketball running um swimming all these different sports I just realized that these guys are the true superheroes Honestly, because not only do they get themselves to the Paralympic Games, but they also have overcome incredible adversity in their life, whether they were born with that a disability, physical disability, or they were um, had an accident or um, had an illness or disease that caused them to be there. And those people truly deeply inspired me and as this is being published we are leading into the Paralympic Games and I really encourage you to watch to watch them to lift up because one of the things that we talk about in this podcast that was educating me on this and this term as well is the um, internalized ableism we are living in a world where it is built for able-bodied people it is not built for people that have a physical disability because that is the majority, understandably. But, you know, what are the internalized belief systems that we have of people that have a physical disability? And how can we shift that? You know, Mackenzie was even sharing, as you will hear, like how she's loving seeing um, ads for um, of, of Paralympians now, people in wheelchairs, people with physical disabilities, because just imagine all the little kids out there that are in that same position, seeing their own superhero on TV like that. So um, these are really powerful and important topics that I'm super glad that we go into and Mackenzie has been really kind enough as well to hand over a whole bunch of references if you're wanting to educate yourself more on internalized ableism and um, you know seeing from the perspective of a person that is disabled like I was saying to her I don't even like the term disabled because I feel like you know, I, I, this is, it doesn't matter what my opinion is because I'm not, I am not, I'm an able-bodied person, but, um, I feel like the people that have, have physical disabilities are superheroes and I want to give them a more empowering title. Um, but there's a whole bunch of links below in the show now, show notes, um, of podcasts, um, influencers that you can follow, um, Netflix documentaries, a whole bunch of ways that we can educate ourselves more on this really important topic. So I'm going to pass the reins off to Mackenzie. Um, and, I hope that you enjoy this podcast. It's a longer one, but it's absolutely worth it. May you guys all have the most incredible time listening. Please, you know, focus and um, so you can allow yourself to get the most out of this. And may you all sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Beautiful Souls podcast. I am very excited to have you guys here today because I have an incredible shining star with me that I'm going to be sharing her story. Mackenzie. Oh my gosh. Is it, is it Wolzen? Like last name? Wolzen. Yeah. Wolzen. Sorry. Mackenzie Wolzen. It's very German. <laughs> 
And um, I know Mackenzie because she has been in two of my programs in the past six months. And I have gotten to know her behind the scenes. And she was actually in a program with Luca, my fiance, um, back in the end of 2020. And as soon as Luca told me about Mackenzie, I literally was like, she took my breath away. And I, I said to him, I was like, this girl is going to do some amazing things. Um, because, um, you guys may have seen the title of this podcast or read the description by now, but Mackenzie, um, is a, is in a wheelchair and she had an accident, um, five years ago now that put her in this wheelchair. And, um, her ability to move through that, her story as well, her spiritual awakening on the other side has just been such um, an inspiring story. And one of my intentions with this podcast is to share the stories of people that are in groups that we might not necessarily share. I am a white cisgendered heterosexual woman that is able-bodied. Um, and I want to lift up people that aren't always in those places. Cause I think it's really important. Um, and I was just telling Mackenzie before we started that one of the reasons I absolutely am so inspired by people with, um, I don't, I don't like to say disability. We we're kind of talking about this before because I feel like you guys are just superheroes. Um, but, um, being an athlete in Australia, I got to know a lot of Paralympians. And um, when I started to hear these these Paralympian stories, they were either born with a um, a disability, or they had a tragic accident or disease, which led them to have amputated legs, be in a wheelchair, so many different things, blind, all these different situations. And I was so inspired um, because I truly believe that Paralympians are the real superheroes. Um, not only do they, um, you know, go th- go to the Paralympics, but they also overcome incredible adversity. So we're going to be going into Mackenzie's story today because she's inspiring. She is amazing. And I think these stories need to be shared. So I'm so excited for you guys to listen. And Mackenzie, I would love for you to just introduce yourself where you are um, and a little bit about yourself before we dive in. Oh, well, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. Um, I'm happy to be here. I feel like very honored that you even thought of me for this. Of course. Oh, yes. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited. I haven't really done anything like this before, so I'm a little nervous. Um, But yeah, um, my name's Mackenzie. I'm 26 years old. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and I am an incomplete quadriplegic. Um, You know, I... This, my accident happened like five years ago, um, so it's been a lot of adjusting and trying to... Mm figure my shit out basically um I was a little bit lost like before my injury and so afterwards it just kind of made things a lot worse um Mm. so this last year I've really been like with COVID um I've been having to like really figure out the things that I like and the things that mean something to me and so yeah I just Happy to be here and on this healing journey with Danielle. And Mackenzie has come so far as well. Could you explain a little bit what an incomplete paraplegic is for those people that don't know? Yes. Um, So I'm a quadriplegic and that's because my hands are impacted. Um, I appear to be a paraplegic because my arms like work fine, Mm -hmm. but because my hands, um, like my, I can't move my fingers or anything that classifies me as a quadriplegic. Um, but an incomplete means that 
I have sensation. Like I can feel my legs when someone touches and like, um, like I can feel my legs right now. It kind of feels like nerve pain, but I still feel it. The only thing that I cannot feel is like pain. And like if someone were to like stab me with a knife or something, I wouldn't feel that. Um, but, and I also can't feel temperature like hot and cold. Mm-hmm. So it feels like I'm wearing like leggings almost. Okay. On my okay. like lower half. Okay. And um, I didn't, cause I didn't know that. Cause I, we did it like a, I did like a little healing on Mackenzie a few months ago and I didn't know. And she's like, no, I can feel down there. I was like, Oh, wow. That's really cool. So I think it's just even interesting to know that I think sometimes we can like couple people like your paraplegic quadriplegic, but there's so many different types of all of that as well. Right. Yes. And like every, every spinal cord injury is different. Um, like I technically, my, uh, injury is at the C6 site. So I technically shouldn't have tricep function, but I do just because of how my nerves are set up in my body. And that's kind of like what's hard for spinal cord injury recovery. You just never really know like how much you're going to recover. And, um, you know, some people walk again after a spinal cord injury and like, that's amazing. And, um, but then like, obviously there's a lot of people who don't and, so it just all depends on how you're wired and all mm. of that. So you would have learned so much about all of this in the past five years. Like, did you even have any touch points like of, you know, quadriplegic people in wheelchairs, paraplegic before any of this? No, like, I don't know if I had ever even met someone who was paralyzed. And like, I knew people that had broken their neck before, but they didn't end up paralyzed. So I didn't even like, put two and two together that when you break your neck, you could become paralyzed. Mm. So I was just totally ignorant to the topic. And, um, part of like the first few months of recovery, when you're in the hospital, they do a lot of education about spinal cord injuries. And that's like where I got a lot of my information. And then obviously those sleepless nights, I just researched and researched Mm. everything I could about it. So Mm, mm, yeah, learning so much about it all. So before all of that happened, what was kind of what was kind of your life like growing up? Um, you are in Iowa, um, in the states. Um, you know, were you an active kid? Um, were you like what was what was it kind of like growing up? I know you have a sister. You're a cat lover. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Um, so I was born in Iowa City, Iowa, and around age six, I moved to Des Moines. And yeah, it's just me and my sister. Um, It's funny, we used to be like polar opposites when we were little, but now we've like grown to be very similar in our like later years. We're really close. So I'm really grateful I have her. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. Are you older or is she older? I'm older by two and a half years. Yeah. And like after my injury kind of changed our dynamic, it's like, she became the older sister in a way. So mm-hmm. it's been a lot of adjusting for my family. But um, yeah, so when I was like younger, I was, I don't know, I was kind of like quiet. I kept to myself a lot. And then when I transferred to Des Moines, like it was not difficult to make friends, but like I just had to like learn how to make friends. And um, right in my backyard, like the house that meets up to my backyard, they had a huge family and all these girls around my age and my sister's age. And I actually just saw them a couple of weeks ago. So 
Um, I've known them for 20 years now and like we've stayed friends through all those years and I'm just like really grateful I had them growing up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to like remember what I was like. Um, I know it just, it's weird. Sometimes we, we don't always like look back and be like, what was life like? Did you, did you like do a lot of sports Were you like artsy? Were you like book nerd? How, How about all that? Yeah. You know, I was very into dance. I started, I like basically learned how to walk on my tippy toes. And so like my parents got me like a leotard and tights and like ballet slippers before I even started. And I would like put that on after preschool and all that. And so when I was finally old enough, they put me in dance and I danced from like age three to 16. And I even took like a course while I was in college. Um, I always considered ballet like my first love. Like I loved dance. It was like like how you feel about synchronized swimming. Like that's yeah. how I feel about ballet. And yeah, like when I listen to you talk about it, I'm like, oh my God, that's how I feel about ballet and dance. Oh. And I still like go to um performances that my dance teachers put on and it's always a good reunion to see them. Oh, that's beautiful. Um yeah. and Leading up to, um, like, so leading out of high school, what were, what was kind of happening like the few years before, you know, I guess, do you just call it the accident? Is that what, is that what you you mean? The life changing moment? Yeah. And like, I guess I would say that, um, it wasn't really like college. It was more so in high school when I started to kind of like, take the wrong like turns and everything Mm -hmm. you know like I seem like very nice but I used to be like a very rebellious angsty like not always very kind um human and I unfortunately just got very into like drugs and alcohol scene and um that brought a lot of like big t traumas into my life and I didn't really have ways of coping I didn't really know how to cope I didn't learn the right ways of coping and so I just kind of fell into that drugs and alcohol and I remember I started drinking when I was like 15 and I remember thinking like oh my god like this is what's been missing from my life it gave me like the confidence the instant gratification Mm -hmm. like made me feel cool or whatever and um Mm -hmm. so that's not always a great thing um, mm. how did you balance that if you were like a dancer, but then you were into the partying, like, did that ever conflict? Oh yeah. And, um, so th- I started drinking like within the first couple of months of high school, just hanging out with like older people. And then by the second semester of my freshman year, I quit dance and it makes me like really sad. Um, just because I loved it so much, mm-hmm. but then, um, during my sophomore year, I did the dance team at my high school. I forgot to mention, I went to like Catholic high school, like you too. Oh, you went to Catholic grade school. Oh, learn all about the traditional ways of Jesus. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. And like, I remember Lots of rewiring and like putting in your own thought and like what you believe on the other side. We'll go into that afterwards, but that's super yes. interesting. Yeah. And like, I just remember being in middle school, like I don't believe this. I don't. And that's, I think that's kind of what like led to me being so rebellious and like Mm. 
like I didn't trust what they said. So I'm going to do exactly what they said not to do type of thing. Yeah. And I think sometimes when it's like so forced down your throat, you're kind of just like, well, screw you. I don't want to do what you're I'm like, you know, teenage angst anyways. Like I don't do what I'm told. I can do yes, my own thing. Exactly. Oh my God. Exactly. Um, but yeah. And then, so I quit dance and, uh, that was like, it almost left a hole in my life, which kind of like mm-hmm. added fuel to the fire of my, I think some people are just like pre-wired to like struggle with addiction and, you know, alcoholism runs in my family. So I was already mm-hmm. like had a predisposition to that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that. I don't know if they like ever taught that if they did. I just like didn't pay attention. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of like fell into that. And then in high school, I just, I was like bullied. And, you know, I really, I grew up with like um, social media in like MySpace mm. and those early Facebook days. And are you 26 like, or 27 or 25? Yeah, 26. I'll be 26, 27 okay. next month, though. Okay. So yeah. you're 1993? Four. 94. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So similar ages. um, Yeah. Kind of like the start of like Facebook um, Mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, uh, they had like a truth box, I remember, which was like an anonymous thing. And like, I got a lot of like hate on there. And so I took that to heart. I remember that. Why does anyone like that's, I feel like it's not a good a good idea. You know, if someone's going to say something to you anonymously, I don't know. That's, that's I know. One of that social media is bad ideas. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Like, thank God that's gone. Yeah. Um, and like, I think now people realize like the severity of like social media, like mm. bullying and cyberbullying. So it was very new back then though. Like, because, you know, I think like we're near ish the same age and like people didn't really, it was all new. So people didn't know that you could like be bullied on the internet. And I think as well, like parents, like they were just doing the best that they could, but that's when parents didn't know that, you know, social media was bad and there wasn't boundaries. Like there wasn't apps to like block kids off and like shut down the internet. So it was kind of like the wild, wild west (laughs) back then. Yeah. One, I like didn't tell my parents any of this. I like, we didn't really have like super open communication about like that kind of stuff. And like, we didn't really talk about like feelings and stuff. So it was like, it's been hard and yeah, trying to like relearn and, you know, it's okay to talk about feelings and feel the feels. And you would have had to do that. I can imagine on like after your accident. Um, you yeah. would have been forced because you have to be processing all of that, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And like just being like in the hospital with like nothing to do, like that's really like what I had to do. So, yeah. Okay. We're going to get been, into that, but let's yeah. go into like kind of like a few months before the accident happened. What was kind of happening in your life and kind of what led up now that it's been five years? Um, what, what kind of led up to this and maybe you see kind of the signs or symbols now in hindsight. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So like really through high school and like early college and even like up to the few months before my accident, I just kind of like went through these cycles of like slowly getting better. Like I've just struggled with my mental health since I was like 11, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was undiagnosed for a long time. And then, 
So I went through these periods of like doing really well, like taking care of my body, exercising and like eating healthy. And I became a vegetarian while I was in high school. Like I'd been vegetarian for almost 10 years. So that's like the one good thing I did back then. Yeah. And then um, I would go through these periods of like really not doing well, where I was just like really using and like coping with alcohol in all the wrong ways. And that kind of carried over up until the last few months before my injury, where I like really just started going down a bad downward spiral. Um, I was a junior in college and um, I was pre-pharmacy and I just remember thinking like, I don't want to be a pharmacist at all. Like no part of me wants to be a pharmacist. Um, But I felt like I was almost too far like down. Mm -hmm. I like only had a few more courses left to take before I got my undergraduate degree. And I just was like, whatever, I'll just do this. Um, But I was really, really unhappy. And I was like, really in the grips of like, um, disordered eating, unfortunately, and um, just like drugs and alcohol, you know, like that followed me through high school and into college, and it didn't really get better it actually started to get a lot worse. Um, Mm. One of my friends like from high school passed away a couple of months before my injury from a drug overdose. Yeah. And it was like really heavy and I didn't know how to like cope with that. And I kind of, again, did it the wrong way. I just drank through the pain, numbed the pain. Mm. And then, um, unfortunately like that brought in when you're like operating at that kind of frequency I think it just magnetizes like more trauma into your life almost yeah which is not a great thing obviously um and so then it was actually like one week before my accident um big t trauma happened and something like inside of my like brain just like snapped that day like I just like felt rage and like sadness and like all these emotions and I just like big big emotions that I didn't know how to handle at the time mm. and um I had this voice like in the back of my head telling me like you need to like stop drinking just like get help like and when I look at it in hindsight it's almost like it was me now like saying mm. those things to her after like all the healing that I've been doing. Mm. But um, then I I had plans to go on this like weekend long, um, like not vacation, but like basically like party. Um, and I had like made these plans and I was like, after this like weekend, I'll get my shit together. And so mm. I remember having that thought, like after this weekend, I'll get my shit together. And, um, obviously the universe had other plans. And that's the weekend where your accident happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went to, it's called Lake of the Ozarks. Um, I will never go back there because just obviously it's a lot of bad memories there and Mm. not good things. Um, so yeah, I like woke up. It was April 23rd of 2016. Uh, it was a Saturday and it was like beautiful weather out, of course. Um, 
and like I had woken up from like not quite yet a hangover you know it was like when you're still like woo, like I don't know in party mode and so um I was just like woke up like ready to party ready to go and who knows like what else I took that day because um my memory stops around like 3 p.m um Mm. the last thing I remember is like taking a nap and waking up and going downstairs and like then there's just like nothing my next like conscious memory was waking up in the hospital with like all these tubes down my throat and I was trying to pull them out and like it was like something out of a nightmare basically and I remember like telling myself because I struggled with like nightmares and like um, sleep paralysis for like ever since I was like 16 so I almost Mm -hmm. felt like that was what was happening I was like it's just a dream Mackenzie like calm down just go back to sleep and then Mm -hmm. like for the next like couple of weeks I was like in and out of consciousness like hallucinating and it was it was a a scary time (laughs) okay I want to go into that in a second but what actually happened so you would have this would be other people telling you right probably yeah yeah um it's just kind of like over the years I've kind of like pieced together what happened because I don't talk to anyone that was at the party anymore which is like you know I don't blame them it was traumatic for me but it was also traumatic for everyone who was at the party yeah um so basically I gather that I was sitting on the ledge of a balcony and like I was probably just really fucked up who knows um and I leaned backwards and I fell off a second story balcony that was 24 feet up and I land up landed upside down which ended up um breaking my neck at the C6, C7 vertebrae and um, the vertebrae pushed into my spinal cord, bruising the tissue and like paralyzing me instantly. And I also shattered my kneecap and um, my lung. uh, What's that word? Not, it wasn't punctured, but like it um, basically I couldn't breathe out of my right lung. And so they had to take me to the hospital and uh, then that first hospital that they took me to, it was like too small and like they couldn't um, basically handle the, my injuries. Like I needed to go to like a bigger hospital. Mm-hmm. So I had to be life flighted to the Missouri University Hospital. And that's kind of where I actually had a really like crazy out of body experience when I was getting on the helicopter. I like, could see the helicopter and like the hospital and my body being carried into the helicopter. Like I actually didn't realize like that this was a thing until I like heard about other people's new death experiences. Um, Cause at one point my heart stopped and I stopped breathing and they couldn't get um, a blood pressure on me. So like that is like technically dying and then mm-hmm. I like came back obviously but so yeah reading about other people's near-death experiences is like what made me like realize what I experienced was real and not just like a hallucination so yeah what 
was it like when you were going in and out of consciousness? Like, did you have more of those experiences? Yes. Um, so like I've read, um, what's his name? I have his book, the journey of souls, Dr. Newton. Oh yeah. 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 I read that a few years ago and I was like, Oh my God, like I experienced this. Like, this is the first thing that I experienced. And it was like, just seeing my body from like above, but like, it's almost like I could see everything around me as well. And, um, I read that it's kind of like what happens is it's just like too much trauma for the soul. So like the soul has to like distance itself from the body and not like feel the pain. Mm. And um, I saw like the silver cord that like linked so my soul to For people my that body. haven't read that, there's a silver cord that links from the soul to the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like almost like from the belly button. And um yeah, I just remember like seeing my body being carried into the helicopter and then like also seeing my body in um, a hospital room and there was no one else in there with me. So it's like not like someone could have told me that this is what happened. And then, um, yeah, during that really like crucial first week, I just remember this one is like, I'm still trying to interpret it because like, what I saw, like, I just don't know what I saw. I didn't see like the white light that most people do. Maybe I did. And I just don't remember it. But, um, what I saw was like, almost like a council. And it felt like these beings were like, like there were beings that from like a different dimension. And like, I just remember like looking around, like being in the center. I don't know. It almost felt like Harry Potter. I don't know. How many um, beings were there? Um, I'm trying to remember. Probably like maybe like half a dozen. And like they were like big and like I could just like feel like powerful. And I I remember feeling like, oh my God, like what what's happening? And um, it's not like I was like in trouble or anything. It just was a feeling of, well, this is where we're going from here. And I don't know if like this was pre-planned. I've met with like um, a Reiki healer and she said that my injury was pre-planned. So I'm choosing to believe that because it makes Mm -hmm. me feel a little better. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, just like meeting these beings and then going back down to my body. And it actually took me a few weeks to realize that I was paralyzed. if someone told me that I was paralyzed, I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like blocked that out because I didn't want to believe it maybe. Um, but I just remember like one day I was trying to, I was like, I need a shower. Like it's been a few weeks since I've showered. And I was like, there's a shower over there. Like, why can't I just stand up and like go shower? And I just remember thinking like, oh my God, I, I can't move. So it was just like a slow realization. Wow. What did that feel like when you had that first realization that you can't move your legs? Um, I think I was in denial for like at least another few weeks because I was in a leg immobilizer because I shattered my kneecap and I was also on a ventilator for almost the entire first two months. And um, 
So I just thought like, oh, I just can't get up because I'm attached to these machines and my mm-hmm. leg immobilizer is like holding me down. Like just like trying to, I don't know, just be in denial for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But then one day I was watching Forrest Gump because I was like the only thing I could do was watch TV during those times. And um, there's a point where Lieutenant Dan was like, do you know what it's like not to be able to use your legs? And like, I just started like sobbing because I was like, oh my God, like I can't use my legs. And so I just, it was a lot. So wow. it was yeah, One of those very emotional. That, yeah. A lot making you process it. What was kind of going through your head in all of these first few months? Just like, it almost didn't feel real for a while. And like, I just had this feeling like, oh, I'll, I'll get better someday. Like I'll be one of those people that like fully recovers in like three months. And, um, so I just like kept telling myself that. And then like after three months went by and like, I wasn't like walking again is kind of like every time I would set like after three months, after six months, and like, I didn't meet those like that criteria that I thought that I would be at, it was kind of like I would go through another grieving period. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just lots and lots of grieving. And I was supposed to be starting like my senior year of college. And so around like August, September, when I was watching my friends like start their senior year and like just slowly kind of like drift away from me. And like I just kind of was stuck in rehab for you know, the first two, the first year after my injury. And it was just like, I was crying like every single day for like hours, which I'm like glad that I did because I don't have to be doing that grieving now, you know? Mm -hmm. It allowed you to process it. What was it like for, I mean, you don't, you might know, might know more now, but like for your mom and your sister, have they shared their experiences Mm -hmm. with you? Like how that was all for them? You know, my mom is like a very resilient woman. I don't know how she does it. She has like never struggled with mental health in her life. And Mm -hmm. um, so she is almost able to compartmentalize like the trauma part of it and just like immediately just focus on like me getting better and, um, you know, just focusing on me and helping me, which you know, I think she feels her emotions just not in front of me. Mm-hmm. I know for my sister, it was really, really hard. And mm-hmm. like, you know, I like my life changed in like for a long time. I was only thinking about myself, you know, like typical 21 year old, just like being not selfish, but only thinking of myself really. And so in these like later years, I've really thought about what my family went through like I can't imagine what they had to see and like just the emotions that they felt because you know they just got a call that night of my accident that like an accident has happened like you need to they didn't know like my condition until they got there and I was like I think it was like a six-hour drive away so they drove they left my house at like midnight and 
got there the next day at like six in the morning. And so it's been a lot of adjustment and it's really brought my family closer though. I will say that. And we all like feel our emotions now and we communicate a lot better. So Mm -hmm. if there's any good thing that has come out of my injury, it's that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's just like, you know, it's, oh my gosh, it's 11, 11 here as I'm saying this, but it's just your life can change in an instant you know, sometimes we forget that and we can just take advantage of what we have, but it's like moments like this, you're like, Mm -hmm. wow, you know, you probably, I I mean, I can only imagine how much you would have thought about how you took advantage of what, how easy it is to walk while you're sitting Mm -hmm. in that bed. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just remember this was like early days when I was still even on a ventilator in like a lot of the nurse aides that they had were around my age. And I remember just being like so jealous of them. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, like, look at her. She can just walk out of my room and like breathe on her own. And so I really like took so much for granted. And I remember just living in a way like where I thought that I was invincible in a way, like nothing bad can happen to me. Like I'll always bounce back and then, end up exactly where I was but this is obviously something that you don't fully bounce back from so Mm -hmm. yeah what was it like when you started to like relearn to like what are all the things you had to relearn like I know I saw a picture on your Instagram where you had to relearn to write right yeah yeah oh my god yeah and um yeah I had to relearn how to I'm trying to like think back even just like sitting up, um, just they would put me in, I was in a power wheelchair for the first like three months, I think. And um, I slowly built up muscle to get into a manual wheelchair, which I'm grateful for because it's a lot easier to like get into places and stuff. But yeah, I had to relearn how to breathe even. I remember I had all these breathing exercises and I had pneumonia that first few weeks and like my kidneys were failing. So I had like 86 pounds of fluid just on me. And um, I had like, yeah, like I was puffy. And so I had to do dialysis. And it was after that, that I finally was like, okay, like, I'm starting to get better. Like I can slowly start to breathe on my own, like a little bit each day, but it was just such a long process. And I had to relearn how to like eat without having it go down my windpipe. And I had to relearn how to talk because when the ventilator was in, like it was blocking off the air that needs to go through like your voice box. And, um, So I had to take like voice lessons and like just relearn how to breathe with all these different um, contraptions, kind of like breathing through them. And like, it was a lot. And basically everything you could think of, I had to relearn how to do. And like all of that on top of having to like grieve the loss of so many things. I remember like, one of the first things I started crying about was like 
not being able to walk down the aisle someday and like, you know, like that still hurts and it stings, but you know, someday maybe I'll find the right fella and I can roll down the aisle and he'll love me twice as much. Exactly. I love that you cultivated that Um, self-worth. But yeah, I can imagine you just have all those memories that would come up of the things Mm -hmm. that you can't do. Um, and even like, I mean, and this, you don't have to answer this, but like, even just going to the washroom and like Mm -hmm. all of that, like how, like that would have been so challenging to have to relearn that. And, you know, I can imagine like being dependent on people, you know, I think everyone likes to be independent, but you, you do need people's help. Like, I'm sure you can do so much more now by yourself, but at the beginning. Oh yeah. Like I needed help to do like everything and like showering I had to have someone like shower me for like the first year just because I was so weak and like I just my body it was like I was given a new body in a way so I just had to relearn how to do like everything and yeah what you said about in high school I really valued like my independence like driving and getting around and um so when I had to rely on people for everything like it was like I was almost angry. Like I was just like angry that I couldn't be independent. And then that turned into like being really mad at myself and like through this spiritual journey, like self-forgiveness is something that I've had to like learn and relearn over and over again. It Mm kind of like goes in waves and it's just been like a lot, obviously, but yeah. Mm, what was it I want to get into your spiritual journey as well but what was it like kind of coming out of the hospital reintegrating with life that would have been so different because how long were you even even in the hospital for um I was in the hospital in like rehab setting for the first like 10 and a half months so like really the first year because like when I first came back um to my apartment that I had like this is my first home after rehab and um I was just kind of I think that's when the depression like really hit because like when you're in rehab you're constantly surrounded with like other people who are in wheelchairs and like nurse aides who like see what you go through and like really understand on like a different level like what we go through and they understand just how to be there for us and so then when I came home and I didn't have that that kind of depression really set in and that's when I like started drinking again of course because that was like my only crutch and coping mechanism but I actually stopped drinking for a while just trying to really focus on my recovery and um it's another one of those cycles that followed me from high school, college, just like slowly getting better. And then like something happened and would trigger like a depression. And then I would start Mm. drinking all over again. Mm. And so, yeah, reintegrating into like society though was really hard because obviously people look at people in wheelchairs and like people with disabilities differently. And so just like going to the mall that I've been going to since I was like, 12 years old and then having to be in a wheelchair and see how differently people look at me and treat me was like a huge adjustment and 
even still when people like look at me weird, I'm like, what are you looking at? Like, <laughs> can I help you? Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine because people just kind of project their own shit or people can stare or people can make you feel less than like unintentionally sometimes, but still you just, you're just yeah. another human being that's wanting to live your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I remember being in therapy when I was still in rehab and the therapist said like, people will stare, but it's just their own ignorance or their own curiosity. So try not to overthink it and don't take it personally. And Mm -hmm. so I'm still like working on that, but I'm trying to like fake it till you make it like fake that it doesn't bother me and just fake the confidence. But yeah. 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 How about like in the sense of kind of re and this has probably been quite a few years journey, but like refinding your purpose and your meaning out of that, right? Because before you're in a degree that you didn't really like, then this mm-hmm. life-changing accent happens, changes everything. And then like I can imagine, you know, where did it kind of leave you on all of that? Like where you're wanting to go from there. I I know you're still figuring that out. Yeah, I am still trying to figure it out. But um yeah, the first couple of years, I was kind of like not on my mind. I was like, I just want to like get focus on my physical, like getting better and my recovery to recover as much as possible. And that was kind of like my full time job for a while, just like mm-hmm. going to physical therapy and taking care of myself and gaining back as much independence as I possibly could. And then, um, I unfortunately had to deal with like more life circumstances and like other traumas going on. And so it was just kind of like, I almost felt like I was being hit by like water balloon after water balloon and like kicked while I'm already down for a while. So my mental health, like really, it was really hard. And then I was trying to like maintain this image that like oh I'm still the same person as I was before my accident I'm just Mm. like in a wheelchair now which was not true like I'm I'm a lot different than I was before which I'm like grateful for because I just had a I was just like really young and immature and um, yeah going through my own shit and so just like those first few years like trying to find my purpose was not at the forefront of my brain yeah it was just living I can imagine yeah but then yeah and then um I had like a really big spiritual like awakening suddenly yes it was dream tell me about this yes it was during the winter olympics actually I think that was in like 2018 yeah it's in Korea I believe yeah yeah oh my gosh yeah Um, but yeah, I just remember like that was on during the night. I'd be like during the day, like freaking out, like what is happening? Nothing is real. Like just like, you know, those typical symptoms of spiritual awakening. And then at night I'd like watch the Olympics. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. It was like a grounding thing, but yeah, I just remember. Was there anything that triggered it? I was involved in like a lawsuit so during that time I had to be brutally honest with myself and like take full responsibility for my actions and like that was the first time I had really done that 
in. Mm-hmm. So during that time, I was just like, oh, fuck, like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, indirectly, of course, but so it was just like me realizing, like, I have to like fully accept the consequences of my actions. And mm. um, that would have been like, felt so nasty as well. Like, I've heard about. I haven't experienced it, but I've heard about other people that have been through accidents and then you have to, it's almost like reliving the trauma through going through a lawsuit. Yeah. And that was really, really hard. And I think that I almost needed it in a like fucked up way because I, it was almost like push it. I was just pushing it back to the back of my brain. Like, no, I'll think about that later. Like, let's move on with life. You know, when Mm. that was just not something I should have been doing. And I should have been like going through and like really examining what happened that night of my accident. So I think it was needed and it really did trigger like an awakening and mm-hmm. yeah, it was like a rude awakening though. Yeah. Is is that lawsuit finished now? Oh yeah, it's done. Okay. And I'm like, that was a really, really hard time of my life. And that's actually why I didn't talk about my like accident for so long was because like actually I take that back I did I kind of like way overshared on social media for those first couple of years which is a trauma response and um since then like when I was going through the lawsuit they said like basically yeah don't do that like don't talk about your injury like so I almost associated that I wasn't allowed to talk about my injury and like what Mm. happened for so long Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of why I haven't talked about it in so long, but I'm kind of like excited to talk about it on this podcast. Yeah, just get it so. off your tre- chest, I can imagine. And like, was that lawsuit with the insurance company, I'm guessing? And like, was it, it was like, like putting a price on your life or was it like yeah. suing the people that were there? No, it was like, so the balcony that I was sitting on, it was like six inches lower than what it should have been like legally. And so that was part of it. And then my lawyers took care of all of that. So I didn't really, I was like, you take care of it. I don't want to know anything, just do your best. And it was really hard though, because there were a lot of lawyers involved and like the lawyers on the other side, obviously didn't want to have to like pay. So they were like trying to make me feel like it was all my fault. Like, and I deserved what happened. And it was like, I really took a lot of it to heart again. And um, so that's why I'm like glad I found my spirituality through this process because it like, it really helped. Like I went through a period where I didn't believe in anything. Like, and I felt like this was just like a meaningless accident that like was traumatic and terrible. And like, there's no, there's nothing after death or whatever. And that was like the darkest time of my life. So then when, when I had my awakening, that's when I was like, oh, like, no, there's lessons to be learned through this and mm. finding my purpose through the pain and mm. yeah. And, and, and through that healing and at the beginning of all that, like what was, yeah, like kind of explain what it was kind of like, I know we kind of started and interjected in that, um, how were you diving into all of this? This is like pre-TikTok, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, um, I 
I remember reading like books. Uh, the first one that I read was um, Eckhart Tolle's like The Power of Now. That I feel like that's like everyone's like Classic, introduction. Yeah. Yes. And then I read like The Untethered Soul and The Alchemist. I read like all these like, like spiritual books and I was like, oh my God, that, like I'm spiritual AF now. Like I went through that <laughs> spiritual ego phase, you know? Yeah. And then I feel like, I mean everybody goes through like awakenings and then like reawakenings and it just Mm kind of like you have to like sift through more Mm -hmm. traumas and like more of your shadow self and like with my past like being like a drug being like addicted to drugs and like an alcoholic and during that time like I really fucked over a lot of people and was not like the nicest person so like that shadow part of me I just like was almost Mm -hmm. really hard on myself and I was like well god what was coming to me I guess and like Mm -hmm. it didn't help that someone said karma was a bitch but like I it was not like out of left field it wasn't like I totally didn't deserve it so it was like really hard for a while and then better and um I don't drink anymore so like it I think the whole not drinking has really really helped with yeah just like my sense of self and like my yeah. confidence and like my yeah. self-forgiveness and so. when did you when did you stop and like what made you stop drinking um it was about a year ago it was shortly after my birthday like during COVID times and mm. that first like few months of COVID I just kind of like messed around didn't really do anything like I was on my phone all the time and I was like binge watching Netflix and just like distracting and like drinking and I didn't really care about finding like my purpose during that time Mm -hmm. and then after my birthday I turned 26 and I was like oh my god like I'm 26 and I don't know what I'm doing with my life and I kind of like hit a rock bottom and I just was stuck there and I had this voice in the back of my head the same one that was like before my accident like you need to like stop drinking and I just remember hearing like over and over again like it's time like it's time and it was just like that quiet voice that I never really listened to in the past and so I stopped drinking and like my depression was really bad around that time And so I didn't like leave bed for a few days. And I just remember like begging the universe for like to send people to like help guide me. And then like, it's just like a weird coincidence that a week later I was on Luca's, one of his lives. And I had watched like a few of his lives before and I never said anything. And I remember during his live, he said like, does anyone have any questions? And so I was like, yeah, how do you like forgive yourself? And um, he was like, can I have like a little more information? And so I was like, oh God, like I have to be honest here. And so I said that I was in an accident a few years ago that left me paralyzed and I was struggling with self-forgiveness because I didn't listen to my intuition back then. And like, just like, that one moment it really like started my healing journey and obviously he introduced me to you and 
it was just crazy that once I made that decision to stop drinking, like is when all these people and like amazing things started coming into my life again. So I'm just, I'm just crying listening to Mackenzie say that because that just like, oh my gosh, when you just hear something like that, that, you know, you were asking for help and then you found Luca and then you found me. Um, it's just like you, sometimes, um, you know, we set out on this journey to really help people, but then you hear stories like that and it just absolutely touches my entire heart and just wish I could reach through the screen and give you a hug. I know it's like, Oh, I'm like crying over you too. Um, it's crazy that I've never met you guys and like, like you guys really have changed my life for the better and I know like I changed my own life and like I did my own healing but like I definitely couldn't have done it without you guys like you guys were just guides through this and I'm forever grateful that the universe answered my prayers and brought you amazing people into my life so (laughs) I'm so grateful too I'm so grateful and I think that's one of the things as well like you know, that when we're in these dark moments, um, we can ask this question, like, why is this happening to me? And we don't know the answer at that moment, but it's like with, with life and the progression of life, you can start to see the meanings. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, in the dark moments in my own life, the dark moments in Luca's life, um, we didn't know the why, but we knew that we wanted to, Mm -hmm. we we knew we wanted to heal. And then we knew we wanted to help, and then getting messages like this from Mackenzie, you know, from so many people in my programs and messages that I get, you know, it's, I would go through all my pain uh, 10 more times to help, to help you, you know, and that's like the beauty of this world. And, and I believe so many good humans out there because you, you are going to change some people's lives as well, Mackenzie. And I'm saying that to you because some people are going to listen to your story. That's why I wanted to share your story so much. And they're going to have been asking for a sign from the universe or something to help them shift. And the words that you say, whether it be in this podcast in the future, is going to help them change. And it makes that pain like not worth it, but it just like transmutes it. And we see the reason and then we find the gratitude and it's just like such a more beautiful and abundant way to live on the other side of that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. That means a lot. I, I definitely have been through like a lot and I didn't touch on like everything I've been through. And I could talk for like six hours, you know, and I don't want to yeah. do that. That's, I um, mean, that's the thing about podcasts is well, whenever you hear anyone's stories on a podcast, know this, everyone's life is more than what you can put into 60 minutes, right. Or more than that, oh, yeah. whatever it may be. Um, yeah. what would you say to your younger self? You probably, we've, we have done stuff like this, but if, if there's, you know, and say to your younger self and other, you know, girls, women, people out there that are struggling possibly with addiction, self-hatred, what would you say to them? Just that she's like so loved beyond like comprehension. Um, Through this like spiritual journey, I've meditated a lot and I've like, this might be like really woo woo for people, but oh my God. I've like, you're, you're talking to me. It's all good. I know. Yes. Okay. Um, But just like meeting my like spirit guides and like just the love I feel 
that it's almost like that was like what I felt was missing from my life for for a long time just like feeling that like worthiness and like I'm good enough exactly as I am Mm -hmm. so just that she is so loved and cared for and never alone I really struggled with like feeling alone and um I think that's kind of what led me to like my addictions like it's almost like those chemicals became like a friend to me in a way Mm -hmm. so just that she's not alone and she didn't deserve the things that happened to her but um just like also that things will always get better and to listen to that little voice in her head and just like make the right decisions because it's almost like for a while I was just making wrong decision after wrong decision like wrong turn after wrong turn and then before I knew it I didn't know who I was anymore or where I was or how I got there and um it just was comes down to like me just making the wrong decisions and like when I think about it in hindsight I'm like oh my god like this was the universe trying to like steer me in the right direction but I took the lower road you know the easier mm-hmm. path to like just make a wrong decision and it's like I ended up on the dark side in a way mm-hmm. um but yeah also that she should love herself unconditionally care for herself her body mind spirit um and it's okay to ask for help I really wish I would have like gone to therapy back in those days because I've been you going go to, to therapy right afterwards um not really like I they had a therapist in rehab and I just you know didn't vibe with him and so I would always pretend I was asleep during our our sessions <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and he would like leave me alone I'm like okay I just have to fake being asleep so <laughs> oh my god that's so funny <laughs> yes but yeah and just put the booze down you know yeah just yeah I think that's what I would say and just love herself and care for herself Mm -hmm. if someone like because I mean we we hear self-love a lot but like what does that mean for you or what can someone do if they go well how how do I do that Mackenzie how do I love myself Mm -hmm. what works for you it's it's like baby steps, like baby increments. Um, I kind of started with going to therapy. Like that was kind of like my first, like, all right, I need to like give a fuck about my mental well-being. And so going to therapy, and I know like not everybody can afford therapy or like they don't have insurance. So I know that's not always accessible. So um, I'm trying to think of like what else helped Oh, meditation. Meditation is like when I realize that those thoughts in my head are not me and like they're not true. Yeah. yeah mind blown. I was like, oh my God, like that bitch in my brain, like she's not me. Thank God. So, <laughs> Thank God. I don't want to be her friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just like slowly being kind to myself. And when I notice those like, mean thoughts creeping in that's when I know like I'm like tired or hungry or something Mm. and um 
on those days, I just need to be extra kind to myself and journaling. I know you say journaling like changed your life. It changed my life too. Seriously. And like, it's almost like I can like see the separate parts of like all those different voices in my brain. When I go back and read, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God, like there's that bitch. And then, mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like there's that sad inner child that just like wants to be seen, heard, loved. And mm-hmm. so doing the inner child healing has helped a lot too. And like mm-hmm. shadow work, shadow work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's hard. And that's almost like one of those buzzwords and like those things on TikTok, like you need to do shadow work, but like at the same time, it's kind of like, don't get stuck and don't get so obsessed with the shadow work mm-hmm. because I kind of like got stuck in like a dark night of the soul phase where I was mm-hmm. doing a lot of shadow work, like going through all that trauma and um, just, you know, going through all the dark stuff that I've done and accepting it. But mm. I'm trying to think of like what else helped. Um, That's awesome. That's, yeah. That's awesome. And, and I think- reading books, yeah. a lot of like those self-help books, like they really help. Mm. I, I mean, I always say like as well, being around communities that, um, that are uplifting being around people that are going through similar things whether that be joining a program whether that be just sharing with friends you know like knowing that you're not alone if you're in that like self-hatred because it can be feel so lonely when we're in our mind but we start Mm -hmm. to share and like you know Mackenzie you've probably felt that in like the group in the clarity code and worthy start to share you're like oh my god other people feel these shitty things too. What? I'm not yes. the only in the world, but we seem to think that, right? So it's really, mm-hmm. I think I really find like sisterhood and um, soul friendship and like community is so powerful and healing as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like finding community and just connecting and all those ways that you don't, you can't do like on your own. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely mm-hmm. important. Yeah. And doing courses like with Danielle. your self-worth like that one was like a it was almost like another awakening like oh my god I can love myself unconditionally like how do I do this so is that the self-worth workshop you're talking about uh yes and then like that was like the start and then me and Mackenzie started working twos in my programs and it was all love story from there um (laughs) exactly (laughs) what um would you say like around you know because now you've gone from this place of being an able-bodied person to having a disability like to the average person what would you say to someone to kind of open people's minds or allow people to be more compassionate or understanding or speak differently about around the disabled community or just any stigmas that you want to change around that? Yeah. You know, it's been hard. Like I think people that are born with a disability and then people who like acquire a disability later in life through an accident, like we have almost completely different like journeys to like self-love and all of that. And it was like a huge adjustment just because society like as a whole it's not like people are actively trying to be like ableist but just like it's almost like people with disabilities are an afterthought so going Mm -hmm. from like being a 
cis white skinny girl in mm-hmm. America in becoming disabled and becoming part of like a minority group it was like I don't know how to even explain it just like the ground shook beneath me and like my entire life changed and like the way people looked at me and the way people treated me like it's almost like I've had two different lives in this one life in a way mm-hmm. um I'm sorry, like what what was the another thing you asked? Oh, like what is there anything that you would like to see more in society to because it's t- so true. Like it's we're I remember hearing this speaking to lots of Paralympians. We are built the world is built for able-bodied people, you know, mm-hmm. and I have this like um when uh, after a, a awards dinner that I went to a few years ago in Australia, um, with the, there was Paralympians, Olympians. There was a few of us that like went out to a club afterwards, and there was a guy on the wheelchair basketball team. There was two of them. One of the guys had his leg amputated from cancer, but he could still walk. Um, and the other one was in a wheelchair. And we were clubbing, and uh, we like went to a club, and he came with us. And I was like, that was awesome. But then I still like it was just this interesting thing. Cause it was like, I felt for him, it was like, everyone was so much taller than him. And mm-hmm. I was like, it's so awesome that he was there, but I was just wondering how can I make him more comfortable? Because he's like in the middle of a dance floor in his wheelchair. And it's just a different perspective that he's living, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to give him pity because he's amazing. He's a Paralympian. Like he's won world championships, gold medals. Like, but yeah. you know, what, what perspective would you like people to have towards people with disabilities? Yeah, you know, it is hard because like as a wheelchair user, I do like have to physically look up to like everyone I'm talking to. And so people look down and I don't know if like that's like a weird analogy that like people with disabilities are looked down on. And we do get a lot of pity in pretty much every single wheelchair user that I've talked to. Like no one wants pity. None of us want pity. We you know, just the other day I was at the gym and some guy came up to me and he's like, can I pray for you? And I'm like, um, I mean, if you want, like, you know, oh my gosh, um, that would make you feel so uncomfortable. I, that makes me uncomfortable. I know. And like, just like out of nowhere, is that how he approaches able-bodied people? No. So yeah. it's just like the whole being treated differently and like, seen as less than and that we don't have like equal rights and I just wish we were all seen as like equal and like I think a lot of times like people associate disability with like shame because like when we're little our parents if we see someone in a wheelchair and we're like we like point or we like look at them like our parents are like oh don't look at them and so as a child it like gets ingrained into our brain that like oh like we're not supposed to look or like stare at people with disabilities and be curious so it's like just from a young age we're like programmed to see people with disabilities differently and like even in schools like they keep people with disabilities separate and like I don't know it's just a lot has to be done still. And like, I, I don't know, I don't have the best words for this because I'm still like unpacking like my own internalized ableism. And for a long time, like I remember um, not wanting to like be alive after my injury. I just felt like 
my life wasn't worth living because I'm in a wheelchair. And then like, just even this past year, I've realized like that's internalized ableism to like think that just because I have a disability, like my life can't be as fulfilling as like an able-bodied person. Whereas Mm -hmm. like that couldn't be further from the truth. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I heard a quote one time that was like, um, I don't feel as different as other people make me feel. And Mm -hmm. that was like, you know, like brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when I'm out in public, I'm just, you know, out in public, doing my thing, trying to do what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And then people are just like, oh my God, like there's just a lot that still has to be like unpacked still. And I think we're definitely going in the right direction. Like I've been seeing a lot more representation in media and like with the Paralympics coming up, I've been seeing a lot more people in like wheelchairs on commercials. Mm. And so like, like that just makes me so happy. And like, I can't imagine like being young and in a wheelchair and like seeing people who are older than you on TV who are in wheelchairs. Like that must feel really good to just like see that representation. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, just, that yeah. makes me emotional. And and I think it's even like um when the Paralympics is coming up, if you're listening to this around when it's published, like, and this is what I say every Paralympics, watch them, support them, you know, mm-hmm. like and I say this about the Olympics as well. Like they they receive more funding uh, in the sense of the Paralympics when more people watch. So sit down and give the Paralympics the same amount of credit that we give the Olympics because they're the real freaking superheroes. Um, because they have overcome incredible adversity. Um, and I, you know, even, you know, I just love Like we think of like children's books or, you know, dolls that you play with, like none of them are in wheelchairs or have a physical disability. Like, you know, I can just imagine as a kid growing up, if not seeing yourself represented, represented, just like in the sense of different colors and different shapes and sizes. Like, I think this world is moving in a much better place with that, but I honestly feel like, and unfortunately, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I feel like, you know, even just you saying internalized, internalized ableism, I haven't personally, I haven't heard that term yet. Like, I feel like, you know, it's amazing. We're having the body shapes and sizes conversation. It's amazing. We're talking about like white privilege and, and, um, racism and internalized racism. And I feel like this next conversation that needs to be had in society is internalized, internalized ableism. Um, mm-hmm. because it, it's, everyone, you know, there's people that have different physical disabilities or abilities, um, bonus legs, or, you know, super wheelchairs or whatever you want to call it. And just giving people more representation. And, um, you know, I love that you said not giving people pity. Yeah. That's like a big one. Cause like, you know, I just, some people like to approach me like that man and like, say like, can I pray for you? Or like, when will you get better? And it's just kind of like, they're, putting like this condition on me that like I can only be happy if I'm like able-bodied or if I'm like walking Mm -hmm. or if I look normal or whatever whereas like something I've been working on this year is like just learning how to be happy like Mm -hmm. in this body that I've acquired Mm -hmm. and yeah I mean there's a lot of good like Instagram pages that educate on ableism and you know, I agree with like most of them and like some of them, maybe it's still like my own internalized ableism that I don't agree with. Um, I'm 
not like super sensitive. I used to be very sensitive, but those first couple of years, like anytime anyone said anything like related to disability, I would like cringe or something. But now I'm like very much open. And Mm -hmm. I just realized that like, I just remember before I was injured, I was totally ignorant to everything related to disability. So I just keep that in mind. And that's why I'm like more patient with like that man that said, can I pray for you? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Patience. And then like, let's talk about, let's have these more of these conversations, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, like, you know, and I, I don't want to do this to you or anyone, like you also are uh, like you're so much more than your disability. You're so much more than you being, mm-hmm. you are like an amazing human being. And I can imagine it, like, you're not wanting to be put in that box because yeah, you're Mackenzie and you have to live your life in a wheelchair, but you're also a Mackenzie that loves cats, that has big dreams, that wants to write a book that has like, is super inspirational and in everything that she's been through. You're all of those other things. And it, you're so much more than that, that label that sometimes we put on people. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of been like part of like my therapist always says that she's like, you know, you're so much more than your wheelchair. Cause like I kind of stayed in my comfort zone for a while. Like after my injury, I didn't go out in public a whole lot. And anytime I did, I'd be like, Oh my God, everybody's staring at me. Like they're judging me. And like my therapist just like really like nails it in. Like you are so much more than that. Like Mm -hmm. you are like this beautiful soul and you have like so much to express and so much Mm -hmm. to talk about. And you're just like keeping that inside. And so that's Mm -hmm. why like COVID was nice. Like it allowed me to really like really reflect. And when I discovered these online courses, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like a perfect way for me to get out of my comfort zone. Totally. And I think it's, it's really interesting too, because like we haven't actually really talked about this because we talk about so many other things like in our programs and, um, and Mackenzie just speaks about all, like we haven't even spoken. We probably touched on it a little bit, but it's not you always speaking about you being in wheelchair. Cause you just like, I'm looking at her on zoom right now. You just look like a regular person to me. Right. Um, yes. so it's, yeah, it's, it's cool to not like, you know, put, put you in that box. And I love that your therapist grounds that into you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we head off today, is there any last words that you want to share with anyone? Oh man. Put um, you on the spot. You've shared so much amazing stuff and information. And I know people are going to be inspired, but any last things that you want to say? Um, you know, I think it's just be really kind to yourself. I've really struggled with like that internal critic for a very long time and like I listened to her and like I was really hard on myself and um so just be extra kind to yourself and um my astrology mentor she always says that like we like to focus on the trauma as like a society but really we should be focusing on like the healing and Mm -hmm. like the healing story because that can be like more uplifting and so just the healing that I've been doing with like meditation, like I've been doing Reiki and, you know, even just learning astrology and like learning why I am the way I am and like Mm. looking for answers has helped. Um, I'm trying to think, even just taking care of your body, um, taking care of your body, mind, spirit, um, journaling, Reiki. I don't know if I said 
but um, mm-hmm. yeah, getting out in nature, um, prayer, connecting to your like spirit and like that source that whether you call it like source, universe, God, mm-hmm. creator, just connecting mm-hmm. to that has really, really helped me. And um, I just hope that whoever is listening, that they like know that they're not alone and like they're mm-hmm. very loved and you know life always finds a way and like we keep going and humans are more resilient in like every possible way that you could think like we just always find a way for life to keep going mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. in the face of adversity you know mm-hmm. just finding a way to hold on to that hope and just finding a way to love yourself and Mm. just accept yourself and yeah just knowing you're never alone and you're so loved Mm. that's beautiful thank you for sharing um so if anyone wants to go and follow Mackenzie I will put her Instagram below and you can check her out. And, um, what I say is just watch this space because I really feel like the next few years are going to be really exciting and really powerful for you. The other day, actually in a program that Mackenzie's in, we declared our three-year goals. And so, um, I feel like you've done so much healing and, and work on yourself. And now it's time for you to really bloom and, and be out Mm -hmm. there in the world. And I love that this is kind of the beginning of that journey and your story is, is so inspiring and you're just such an incredible human. And that's my alarm. I'm going to take that as a universe telling us that you that's validation. You're incredible human, but, um, and just thank you for sharing your story because I know it's intimate and it's, it's something you haven't openly shared before, but I just know that there's going to be at least, at least one person that this is going to really, really touch and change their life. And if it does, please send Mackenzie a message or you can send me a message um, and I can share it with Mackenzie um, because like she shared with me how she was looking for someone to help her when, when you hear that yourself, it just, it just gives you the power to keep going. So thank you so much for, um, for being here. And I'm excited for everyone to listen Um, and everyone listening have the most beautiful day. Welcome to the other side, beautiful souls. I so deeply appreciate you spending this time with me. My intention with this podcast is to uplift, love on, and inspire you and align my actions with this intention. But as with everything in the world of personal and spiritual development, take what feels good for you and leave the rest. As a white, able-bodied, cisgender woman, the perspectives I share here are inherently affected by my privileges. I'm actively invested in learning how to elevate and support lived experiences beyond my own, and I'm always open to and grateful for your feedback. I am listening. No matter who you are, where you're from, or where you're going, I see you, I love you, and you matter. So thank you for listening, beautiful souls, and I'll see you next time.